0: Hello and welcome to The Katie Helper Show. Please rate and review The Katie Helper Show on iTunes. Please become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash The Katie Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. On today's episode, I'm joined by Kate Willett as my guest co host. Kate Willett is the author of Dirtbag Anthropology. She's the co host of the Reply Guys podcast, and she's had comedy specials on Netflix and has done stand-up on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. He and I are joined by Liza Featherstone, who was an essayist and journalist, staff writer at Jacobin, contributing writer at The Nation, the author of Divining Desire, Focus Groups, and the Culture of Consultation, as well as the book, False Choices, the Faux Feminism of Hillary Rodham Clinton. Then we're joined by Tara Reid, an author, former Senate aide, animal rights activist, and the author of Left Out When the Truth Doesn't Fit In, a memoir in which Tara shares the aftermath of the re-victimization of speaking out about her sexual assault with then-Senator Joe Biden in 1993. Then as a bonus, we talked to journalist Kevin Gostola about the latest in the Julian Assange trial. Don't forget to become Patreon supporters to hear the extended interview with Tara Reed. Let's get into it. Hi everyone, welcome to the Katie Helper show. I'm Katie Helper. I'm joined by Kate Willett who is the host of the Reply Guys podcast, Hello. Uh, stand-up comedian, author, uh dirtbag anthropology. And also, she's been on the Colbert Report, which before he got really corny, I believe, right? The late show was Stephen Colbert. Oh, it was? Okay, that's yeah. fine. That's fine. I wouldn't have turned that down either. You I had did nothing to up. do with, yeah, you did stand up. Yeah. She didn't do a sketch about Trump.
1: I actually, you know, I did a whole performance about how Trump is orange and he has little <laughs> hands, and uh, it was groundbreaking, to it be was, honest. Yeah. yeah.
0: You, did you call him, did you compare him to Mussolini
1: or anything? I called or? him
0: Cheeto Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cheeto Jesus. Yeah. All right. All right. I and like I made
1: that. a PP tape joke. It was great. I really, I made some waves. Yeah. We should
0: actually play that at the end of the show. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's play it at the end of the show.
1: <laughs> but, and
0: she also just did a, she has a Netflix special. Can you imagine? And I say that, that doesn't sound like I have a lot of confidence in you. It's awesome. <laughs> she has a Netflix special. And she also just taped a special with, am I allowed to announce it? Yeah, sure. It? Yeah. A special with Comedy Central? It wasn't really a special. It's more like a set, but... Yeah, happens. a set. She said, well, it was a special set. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that, not to brag, but she announced that on, oops, she announced that on the Katie Helper Show.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember because that was, was like the last time when I was hanging out with you. Yeah, you found out it was breaking news. Yes. yes.
0: So I we have a very special show today. We're going to be talking to Tara Reid, who some of you may have heard about. She, of course, famously accused Joe Biden of sexual assault as well as sexual harassment because he is a... An alleged renaissance man. But before that, (laughs) we're going to be talking to journalist Liza Featherstone, who wrote a great piece at Jacobin about the feminists who basically helped cover for Andrew Cuomo. And Liza is a journalist whose writing you can find at places like The Nation, Jacobin, She's also the author of Selling Women Short, The Landmark Battle for Workers' Rights at Walmart, and of course, False Choices, The Faux Feminism of Hillary Clinton. So let's bring on to the show, Liza Featherstone. Hello, I'm weaving. Hi,
2: Liza. Good, how are you?
0: Good, welcome. Welcome to the show. This is a great piece that you wrote at Jacobin Elite Feminist ran Cover for Andrew Cuomo. Can you tell us what made you write this piece and what your findings were?
2: Yeah, and as far as my findings, I I should say I really didn't report this piece. This this is really an opinion piece or a synthesis on my part because people at the New York Times and the Washington Post and many other places did a lot of great reporting to draw on here, not to mention... Attorney General Tish James, who did all the investigation. So just to
0: clarify, yes. Liza wrote this piece. She did not write the 100-plus page report from the Attorney exactly. General. Exactly. I just, I, I, I'm
2: just want to clarify, I didn't do that much work on exposing Cuomo or yeah. the elite feminists. It was all out there, and that that, that work of exposure was done by other people. However, but can you actually
0: um, I, do you I, set up what happened and then uh, go into the analysis?
2: So the what I f- found interesting here was the, there are so many things, but the role of some elite feminists. So a few, a number of years ago, an organization called Time's Up rose to prominence with the, with the Me Too hashtag and to bring to light the horrible experiences that a lot of women in Hollywood had at the at working for truly awful bosses, Harvey Weinstein. And and the the organization became almost synonymous with the Me Too movement. It just every that phrase times up, and and those and those activists were were really the face of it in many ways. So the lawyers and executive director were consulted by Andrew Cuomo on how he could get out of this predicament of eleven in which eleven women were accusing him of sexual harassment and in some cases assault and all the things that Time's Up was founded to fight um, in the workplace. So they were consulted on how to get one of the um, worst, most high-profile, terrible sexist bosses off the hook. And instead of saying, fuck you, Andrew Cuomo, that's not our job. No, they did not say that. They went along and they consulted with him. They now say in their defense that they told him to tell the truth and not smear victims, but in some sense, that's even worse because that would have been good advice for him. That would have helped him. And so, w- it's good that they apparently—it's
0: good that they apparently believe that women should not be lied about and smeared and retaliated against. We want to give them credit for that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But a low bar. It's still PR advice. It's still PR advice. Exactly. They were advising him to take the moral high ground, which is a PR move in his situation. So there's no excuse for what they did. A number of um, women who were clients of Time's Up, women who have been helped by the organization in the past, or in some cases are dissatisfied with the amount of help that they did or didn't get. There uh, seemed to be a lot of complicated stories around that. But a lot of former Times Up clients signed a letter on this issue, saying just uh, saying how appalling it was, and basically correctly analyzing this as times up has chosen to side with power rather than rather than with the workers rather than with the women and so it's a disgraceful episode one of the women one of the lawyers roberta kaplan has resigned from the organization and she gives the absurd reason that there's some kind of conflict of interest between her work as a lawyer and her work for times up and because of her she isn't able to fully disclose all her work as a lawyer. It was just the most, it it was the, it was the most hedgy little nitpicky resignation letter. But, but obviously the reason is, she has become an embarrassment to the organization because she did this. This letter is just... Yeah. like She should have said Cuomo's apology was better than this. At least he said, I, I did the wrong thing. I'm sorry, really sorry.
0: Yeah. You know who... Who? I think you're, it's a sad state of affairs when Roberta Kaplan ha, could learn a lot from Andrew Cuomo's apology <laughs> yeah. tactics. I know. But that's a really I mean, sad...
1: To be clear, totally, yeah. his
2: apology is terrible because... He evades admitting the very worst things. So his apology was not good, but it at least did contain a sort of a sense of being sorry. I'm
0: sorry if anyone was offended by my being friendly and culturally determined. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry never. if my being Italian American made anyone feel uncomfortable. That was never my intention. That's that. And the other thing, we didn't look at this, we can look at this later, but like he told, he hides behind his daughters. He loves doing that. And oh, it's so thing, gross. So oh. gross.
2: I'm so uh, tired of hearing about his daughters. Like when Obama said he wasn't going to approve Plan B because he had daughters and he wouldn't want his daughters getting the abortion pill without him
1: what is like, it he wants, yeah. he wants, he wants, he's like
0: horrible. i want grandkids. i really want grandkids so i'm <laughs> yeah,
2: not a horrible policy and all right-wing politics and then also too much information yes yeah, like, you don't want to know that you're like lying in bed worrying about your daughters having sex it's yeah horrible.
0: yeah,
1: seriously what is that like dude that- you're barack obama like just chill out party <laughs> Yeah, I know. go make <laughs> know. a joke about
0: how you're going to drone the Jonas Brothers or something if they go out. But that's <laughs> yeah. at least that's on brand for you as a yes, big exactly. droner. You're not supposed to be the like Christian. But here's part of her. Po- I I actually feel like we should start a new foundation. We should just take Time's Up, abolish it and put all the money into a foundation for Roberta Kaplan, because I think she's really hurting. <laughs> I think she's the victim here. And I'm not the only person who thinks that. I think uh, Roberta thinks that. So here's her letter of resignation to the board of Time's Up. As you know, I helped establish and lead Time's Up and Time's Up Legal Defense Fund since their creation four years ago. Time's Up grew out of the belief that if women leaders used our influence to work with those in power to hold them accountable, we could make real strides forward, and we certainly have. Looking back over the last four years, we've accomplished more than I think any of us thought possible. Perhaps even more importantly, we did it together in sisterhood and solidarity, bringing together our respective expertise, networks, and experiences to elevate women's voices advance new legislation and force the culture to recognize that the status quo was no longer working yes they forced the culture they cupped they cupped the culture by the I think breath. this is from yeah. the Andrew,
2: from the Andrew Cuomo school of first bore your audience with a long preamble so they don't yeah. think about the bad thing you did
0: yeah <laughs> but, and also pretend to be woke which he yeah. does as yeah. Famously, and as a New Yorker, I'm black. Yeah. I'm Jewish. I'm Muslim. I'm I am disabled, gay. I'm gay. Yeah. I'm a
1: woman. I am a woman seeking to control woman her woman. body, which so sounds amazing. so creepy. Like the second before any of this, like sexual harassment yeah. stuff came out,
0: he's a man seeking to control her. That's I mean, what he identifies like, as a woman.
1: And he happens to be controlling other... but people, just like, body. I'm seeking to... I would never say that. I'm seeking to control my body. Maybe if I was about to have diarrhea, I would... Like, <laughs> you talking about reproductive
0: rights. Right, yeah.
1: That's weird. Or like,
0: what yeah. the exercises for your pelvic floor? Um, Kegel, yeah. Yeah, maybe Kegel. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a diaper advertisement. Yeah, yeah, are you seeking
1: body. to control your body? Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so advancing to enforce the culture to recognize that the status quo is no longer working. Unfortunately... Recent events have made it clear that even our apparent allies in the fight to advance women can turn out to be abusers.
3: We have Imagine felt that. found. Imagine we that we've never found. I know. Very 2014,
1: know. actually. You know, just wow. Some of these woke guys—they're actually like uh, pieces of shit. But <laughs> it's
2: also just the pose of that sentence. Given that the reason she's writing this letter is that she was involved with in consulting behind the scenes with him about how he could get out of this and. It's what, so you're trying to make it sound as though you just learned about all this from the news cycle.
0: Right. Unfortunately, recent events have made it clear that even our apparent allies in the fight to advance women can turn out to, to be abusers. We have felt the raw, personal, and profound pain of that betrayal. It from is, you. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, it has raised important questions about how and why Time's Up does what it does, as well as demands on the part of advocates and staff for a kind of radical transparency. So you were the bad guy. Right, yeah. you're the person who they're feeling this, the raw, personal, profound pain of that betrayal, you did the betrayal. Or I guess, what is she expecting us to believe? That like, she thought she was just helping out a decent guy who was being smeared by a bunch of women accusing him of that. She didn't know that he was an abuser. Uh, Don't
1: believe women. Yeah, I
0: mean, let's like, let's say you thought that Cuomo, let's say you really thought that someone was being railroaded and set up. Like it's still, if your time's up,
2: you probably want to recuse yourself.
1: Yeah. Women like that's so right. Bad.
2: It's it seems very it, it's not credible that they thought 11 women were making
1: right. this stuff. Up. Yeah.
0: One event, each other. yeah. One recent event after one recent event and another recent event, another recent event, another recent <laughs> event, another recent event. It's a lot event, of
1: events. Event, another one, another <laughs> one.
0: And another recent event after those recent events. And the only recent <laughs> events are that it's now clear that Cuomo is not tenable. It's not viable. That's the recent event and that he was going to resign. So we're going to have to go with plan B. Uh-oh, don't back. tell Obama. So anyway, so she re- does a lot of soul searching and she makes it seem like she's just put in a, an uncomfortable position because of because she happens to be a lawyer.
1: Maybe she relates to Cuomo. I feel like this is not the first time I've heard of Time's Up, like being very aligned with you no. know, Democratic politicians, but I don't know. Yeah, We're going to hear about it more yeah. from Tara
0: Reid, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yes.
1: But if we, let's
0: just finish this up. Very unfortunate recent events. My work as a lawyer is paramount to my identity. Okay, get ready for some woke washing, woke wash of the week. My mm-hmm. work as a lawyer is paramount to my identity and critical the way I've advocated <laughs> for and achieved for all how I helped to win marriage equality by representing Edie Windsor. My law firm, which was founded around the same time as Time's Up, has taken on and continues to take on some of the most challenging and difficult matters, including three cases against Donald Trump, as well as cases against Jeffrey Epstein, the white supremacists responsible for the violence in Charlottesville, groups trying to undermine the legitimacy of the 2020 elections, and many survivors of sexual harassment and assault whose names I cannot mention.
2: She's also not mentioning that she last year defended Goldman Sachs. In a lawsuit by a woman who who was accusing their chief global litigator of of her of harassment and and intimidation and and retaliation. Oh, I love she, you know, she's humble. She
0: lies she's humble. She yeah. can't list her whole resume. That's I right. Love that she identifies as a lawyer. I know. You know I know. Like, a I lawyer identify A Muslim. I am gay. I am a lawyer.
4: I'm a lawyer. Seeking, I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm a lawyer seeking
0: to control women who are trying to sue for discrimination, seeking to elevate men, protect men. Let's see. And then, OK, she can't even mention the, some of them. Putting aside whether a model of radical transparency on the part of its leaders would have been consistent with many, if not most of times of its achievements. I am a practicing lawyer sworn to uphold vital ethical duties of loyalty and confidentiality. Simply put, wait for it. The standards that apply to lawyers are different from and more stringent than ethical norms that apply to others. What? And I believe those standards are set. Guys, we all know the jokes based on this. Lawyers are more ethical than others. Yeah. That's why that whole genre of shark jokes is based on lawyers being ethically uh, uncompromised,
1: ethically non monogamous. Yeah. yeah. Not That's that. kind of, they are poly.
0: They're poly. <laughs> they represent a lot of, they're like poly conflict. Yeah. They like represent a lot of different clients who have who, they, it's like dating people who hate each other. Ooh, I would do that. Well, that's fine, as long as, but, but there's no transparency. Okay, you guys, the reason that she had to defend Cuomo was because she's so ethical, she had to advise him. And she goes, and I believe those standards are essential not only for the profession as a whole, but also for the administration of justice. As a result, I cannot offer the degree of transparency about my firm's matters now being demanded, since that would be contrary oh, yeah. to my responsibilities as a lawyer. I therefore have reluctantly come to the conclusion that an active litigation practice is no longer compatible with serving on the board at Time's Up at this time. And I hereby resign. Sounds like Time's Up for you being at Time's Up. It has been difficult for me to reach this decision in light of the challenges facing women today. Now more than ever, and especially in light of the consequences of the ongoing pandemic, we know that time is still very much up and that much more change needs to happen. I look forward to continuing the fight for change and to advancing the mission we all share. Very truly yours, Roberta Kaplan." Why was this difficult for her? What about the pandemic made it difficult for her to realize that she shouldn't be advising a powerful man in ways to smear his accuser?
2: it's It's baffling. It really is a baffling letter. And the most amazing thing about it is the lack of is, is the lack of any kind of apology. The organization itself has put out so many constri- at least you, you, to their credit, very constri- contrite statements acknowledging that they have been on the side of people who were causing harm. And they understand why people might feel some kind of way about that.
1: <laughs> if they yeah. need more money as a law firm, can yeah. they do some asbestos cases or something like that? Like, you can't you just get involved in some, like, personal injury shit? Yeah. And, like, why do they have to go all the way to the other extreme of defending these
2: abusers? You build up a certain amount of knowledge capital about yes the topic of sexual harassment and the and the sort of legal expertise and then, then you're going to turn around and use it to help Andrew Cuomo Of course um, or this G- Goldman Sachs asshole Can you tell us about this Goldman Sachs case? Oh, so uh, I don't I, I don't have that um, he, uh, many details on it but but it was last year times up was un- had been underway for some time. It was 2020, actually, during the pandemic, when apparently women especially needed these sorts of organizations. And the women's lawsuit accused the chief global litigator of harassment, improperly starting a relationship with her, also alleged that she had been retaliated against, which is a particularly common unfortunately, and also happened to some of the Cuomo abusers. Yeah. And I actually, I don't know where the case um, is right now or how it was settled. When these things happen at big financial firms, there's usually a confidential um, settlement. Right. So we don't necessarily get to know all the details or, or what the findings of fact were, if any, in the case and what they agreed to and how much money the accuser got. I'm not sure that any of that is public because at these kinds of firms. It's actually a really big problem for addressing these kinds of problems in the finance industry because the disclosure agreements prevent. Yeah. People. I actually
1: remember that from the, the Democratic primary. Elizabeth Warren was talking about all those settlements that Mike Bloomberg paid out and those details not being released to the public. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren. But that was a good moment.
2: Yeah. No, yeah. it was. It, it was a good mo- moment on her to uh, raise that because he had he had a lot of accusations against him of like just um, appallingly sexist conditions at his company and crazy things he said to women who were about to have babies. And she was right. Yeah, a, a lot of it was confidential. So then he could just have his public profile without being humiliated, unlike Andrew Cuomo, at least. Right. I got to <laughs> I got
0: to say it's terrible that honestly, like Bloomberg is so gross, he makes me almost like Cuomo. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm know, not that I'm damning him with faint praise, but
2: yeah, no, I know what you mean.
0: Yeah. Also, we have to wonder, like, why Cuomo? Why they're willing to throw him under the bus now? That's something we're going to have to
2: figure out. Maybe oh, you mean why? Election, um, but why the why the Democrats are willing to throw Cuomo? Under yeah, the I guess bus. he
0: just he became too much of a liability. Eleven was too many. But I kind of thought that I don't know. I was kind of surprised Tish Williams even looked into it.
2: It was very interesting that Tish James chose to take it on. Jumani Williams is the other. That's why we for the lieutenant governor instead of So you were having a little bit of a subconscious exactly, yes. moment there, and that's actually yeah. And Cuomo, when Cuomo said it was politically motivated, he's implying that it's because Tish James wants to run against him for right. governor, which is a, a futile bit of shade on his part. He
1: also really wanted to be the president, I think, which yeah. is, was maybe a hope already dashed by the nursing home thing. Maybe not. Sadly, I don't think it was. The nursing home scandal what's
0: amazing about this is that there's something he did that we know that he did because one of his own aides said he did it which is like downplay the number of deaths the fbi investigate that he gave immunity from liability to nursing homes and hospitals and he basically did that probably because he was they were his donors the executives who own these places but like that you it's hard okay you can't prove the motive but obviously it's it's irresponsible to give people liability immunity because that's like the biggest cause of death at nursing homes is because of liability and it's cheaper to not care take care of patients obviously sorry negligence 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 is the biggest uh cause of of nursing home deaths so giving them immunity to negligence prosecution that's what he did but what we definitely know is that they distorted, they covered up the numbers. And we know this because his own aide said this in front of people. And the fact that that wasn't a career ender is insane. Also. It's so
2: sad. It's so
0: sad and just shows you how terrible the media is and how there's no accountability anywhere.
1: Well, it's so partisan because they they were talking about the Cuomo nursing home scandal a lot, like all over Fox News. And it was really big. Social media among Republicans. People cared about it, but you rarely see anything that isn't super partisan except for you. Sometimes Republicans will defend Democrat men accused of sexual harassment, as we saw Tucker carlson do with Mm -hmm. with, andrew cuomo like it pains me but i know my loyalty to a man is more even than my loyalty to party Yeah. yeah
2: yeah i know we're usually a bit more populist and on the side of the people on this show and i agree with that but in this case i'm sorry to say i think if andrew cuomo had run for governor again he probably would have won. He's very oh, yeah, popular. definitely. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and I think what we're really seeing here, two things one kind of general and one kind of specific to Andrew Cuomo. One is I think that these kinds of abuses of power around gender and the workplace are extremely toxic for Democrats. And in, in his, it was so proven. Like there was such an extensive investigation. Over 700 people were interviewed, including all the people who were involved in covering it up. I yeah. mean, it was really an amazing um, piece of work on the. Yeah, attorney. I mean, wasn't the
1: finding and like, and forgive me if this has already been said, but wasn't the like one of the findings in the report that really stood out to me is that his staff would no longer allow him to be alone with a yes. female employee. That was like yeah. office policy. So obviously. Yeah know what was going on he's too yeah. friendly guys it's not fair yeah. yeah. to yeah. be fair you yeah. know italian, you yeah. can't just be in a room with an italian yes. you know yeah well now we know how
0: mike pence feels who can't hang out with what is it he can't hang out with uh women besides mother mother he can't yes. hang out with women with besides mother, mother. Yeah. i haven't thought about that guy in a way. while he called yes wife uh, mother, i haven't thought about that healthy. man in well also, oh, yes. speaking of partisan let's
1: it. Let's yeah let's keep it that way but
0: yeah. uh speaking of partisan, shameful partisan politicization of sexual assault, sexual harassment, me too feminism. What better transition? What better segue than to bring on into the chat someone who had her own interactions with Time's Up? And I'm speaking of Tara Reed, activist and author of Left Out, When the Truth Doesn't Fit. Hi, Tara.
3: Hi, it's good to see everyone.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And you are one of the people who signed this letter condemning Time's Up. So can you tell us why you signed this letter and what
3: your thoughts are on what happened? Sure. And by the way, I'm a huge fan, Liza. So, And and Kate, I have your book. I'm going to be listening to it. Congratulations on that. Yeah, it's really impressive. So I've had a lot of big feelings this week because Time's Up treated me really badly. And then watching and knowing that they did the same thing to the Cuomo survivors, if not worse in some ways, or I guess you can't compare, we all had terrible treatment. But I went to Time's Up in January thinking, and they accepted my case, it was vetted, and I thought, Time's Up Legal Defense Fund, I'm gonna get a lawyer, Things I'm safe.
0: Just so people, in case people were living under a rock, you were accusing Joe Biden of sexual um, assault and sexual harassment.
3: That's correct. From when I was his staffer in 1993, and I came forward actually in 2019 and 2020 and on your show, Katie, so people can listen to the audio of the whole thing, or they can watch the Megan Kelly um, interview as well. In January, before I came forward in that way, I went to Time's Up thinking I had their protection, and they ask you everything about your case. You pour your heart out. You, They vet you, and they accepted it. Then I went through this process where there's another arm of it that's the public relations, and that's SKD Knickerbocker, who's the founder of Time's Up and who runs that PR firm. That would be the senior White House advisor, Anita Dunn. And Anita Dunn, so when I applied for the PR part, they got a hold of me right away and said, no, we're sorry, we can't help you at all because you're is too political. And this was a couple months later. At this point, Joe Biden was not dropping out of the presidential race. He is now the nominee. And I said, too political? Where am I supposed to go? Like, where does someone like me go? He's, and i they knew everything about the sexual harassment, assault, as I said. And, and they gave me this conference call and said, we're so sorry, we can't help you. Never told me that Anita Dunn was already working for Joe Biden's campaign. That would have been the PR. And that she was already accepting money. And Ryan Grimm did a fantastic investigative reporting, and I found out with everyone else when he exposed it in The Intercept, that piece of news. And then Law and Crime did another deep dive and talked about how the money increased to Anita Dunn the whole time I was getting services at Time's Up, or trying to. So it was a betrayal on a level that makes me really emotional. It's, I trusted them, and I gave them all the information. So. I don't know, they talked about firewalls, that my information wasn't given to Biden's campaign. I don't know if it was or not, but I do know that I was really discredited, just like Lindsey Boylan, and there was a very coordinated attack through social media and through corporate media. And I was class shamed and everything else. And I had to fight very hard. One of the results of that was them even threatening me with prison for perjury. And luckily, I got lawyers and got help. And of course, there was no perjury. And then Ryan Grimm was a reporter for The Intercept who who did another deep dive on that. And I was exonerated by that time. And he even went as far on rising to call out The New York Times for retraction, which they haven't done. So that's the long and short of it. But the players, those 11 women that were involved with the founding of Time's Up, they all have lunch together. They all have the same contacts and what's worse about what they did, it's not just that they suppressed our stories like Lindsay Boylan or my own. It's that they worked with the monsters, the abusers, to discredit us, to go after us. Yeah. I, I don't even know how to begin to address that betrayal.
0: Yeah, they have a lot of class solidarity as Liza points out in her piece. So they are good. If not good feminists, they're good, what, classicists?
2: They're, they're yeah, classicists. members of the they're
1: ruling like class. Socrates. I know. <laughs> well, yeah. they happen to be
0: very well read in Socrates, too, but yeah. uh, classicists. The thing I admire most about Anita Dunn is that when she advised Harvey Weinstein, she did it not for money, but out of the kindness of her own heart.
2: I actually think that was the case. I, I don't think we have any evidence that any money exchanged hands when the Times Up activists consulted with Andrew Ed Cuomo. When, when Roberta um, kind of I, I, I'm not I'm not at all sure that they were getting paid for that. I think they may have just
3: class
0: solidarity. Know,
2: yeah. The playbook, we didn't talk about that yet. The playbook is what
3: they used to advise Harvey Weinstein. Basically, they used that playbook to discredit some of the Weinstein survivors, like Rose Perlin. Yeah. So they gave them techniques of how to do it, which was the techniques they used on me, on Lindsay Boylan. And Lindsay Boylan, I think it even went further, correct me if I'm wrong, humanitarian branch uh, released illegally her personnel file and leaked it to the press. Is that true?
2: Yes, that is true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. We, Liza, I want to thank you so much for your time. I, do you have anything else that you want to say in closing?
2: Just that it all shows we can't um, trust these people, and we need feminism for the 99%, and we don't need these, these elite people. Feminism needs to be socialist. It needs to be rooted in the struggles of working-class people, and it can't be about secret little meetings with the boss.
1: That's, yeah.
0: Amen. Burn your pants, yeah. suits, Ew. Burn yeah. your pants suits.
1: Wait, well, can I ask you yeah. one more question before we go? Sure. Okay. Oh, yeah. so remember when Cuomo started the women's equality party?
2: Oh my god. Yeah. So have
1: any of those have any of the women who were in the face of that? I don't know. I haven't been following it. If they have any, do you know if any of them have said something? Because I know how embarrassed I feel when like yes. a male comedian I've helped out ends up being a little scummy. I know.
2: I know. So for listeners, just tuning in to the disgraceful phenomenon that was the Women's Equality Party. Um, and that you're saying that
1: because you hate women's equality. I hate
2: you know, <laughs> hate, hate women, obviously. And when, when Andrew Cuomo, he's faced a number of progressive women challengers during his time as governor. And the first time that happened was a woman named Zephyr Teachout, very impressive um, Fordham law professor who I'm sure has been on the Katie Helper show mm, many a time. And, and so very um, upset and disquieted by the fact of having a primary challenger at all. He started the Women's equality party, which would then, you know, which his main purpose was to endorse him.
1: And he also paid for it. Like, oh yeah. He
2: started. Yeah. Even the New York times referred to it as a kind of political shell company. Ginny Bellfonte did a whole story at the time on how, you know, just completely fake this was as a party and how entirely its purpose was just to advance Andrew Cuomo. And she called up and, you know, she called them up and asked why they weren't endorsing some particular women who had women's equality issues at the forefront of their agenda. There was this woman running on Long Island and she was challenging some male centrist Democrat and her main issue was like childcare or something. And then she called the, the, them up and was like, wouldn't, why wouldn't you endorse this woman as the Women's Equality Party? And they were like, no. And they were just supporting some Cuomo ally of because- Well, he of is That's actually. He,
3: he's a woman seeking to control his <laughs> body. He's a
2: woman seeking to control his body. I know this was the yeah. media missed at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a woman who was you know, the director of the Women's Equality Party. She seems to have written a bunch of children's books on suffrage issues. So I got curious about her the other day and you know what's she up to now? And I went to her website And she had scrupulously removed all references to the Women's Equality Party. Like, she's obviously um, expecting this kind of mockery, which actually made me happy. I'm glad that she knows that she needs to be embarrassed about this.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying anything bad should happen, but you should feel like, a little bit weird about the fact that you did
2: that. (laughs) I mean, I do think when she goes to get her groceries, people should point and laugh at her every now and then.
0: Yeah, yeah, like
5: like not
2: like her life should be ruined, but she, she should. She shouldn't be, be
0: in a alone. prison underground like like yeah. Henry Kissinger or Ari Fleischer <laughs> yeah. or anything. Yeah, yeah. or okay. some non-Jews too. Yeah. Not all Jews, but uh, <laughs> I'm embarrassed that the two people just I named. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, Liza. We're gonna bring in someone else, and this is a person making her debut on the Katie Helper Show. She is a DJ, illustrator, designer, feminist artist, activist, survivor, advocate, writer. She's also the social media manager for We Believe Tara Reed. And believes that the fight for Tara is a fight for all survivors of sexual violence. And without any further ado, bringing on to the show Avalon Claire. Hi, Avalon. Hi. Hi.
5: Hey, thanks. thanks so much for having me, Katie.
0: Of course. Wanted to talk to you both about what it's been like. We've seen Cuomo fall on his sword. Wanted to know. Very phallic. I know, I couldn't. Yeah. I'm <laughs> but uh, he did. It's I would mean, so have fallen on it before certain mm-hmm. things happen. but it was in service to, in, in commission for too long. But we have not seen Biden do that. And in fact, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to play some videos. I think it'll be a good idea. Let's play, Nick, if we could play two back-to-back videos, let's first play the video of Biden condemning, condemning Cuomo, and then we'll play the other one.
4: President Biden said today he respects Cuomo's decision to step down as the president tried to put some distance between himself and the allegations that drove Cuomo from office. At the White House, here is CBS's Ed O'Keefe. Thank you. Uh, president Biden had president. called on Andrew do Cuomo I, to resign and today reluctantly do do? discussed the downfall of one of his closest political allies. How would you assess his 10 and a half years as governor of the state? in terms of his personal behavior or what he's done as a governor? What he's done as a governor? Thought he's done a hell of a job. Killed old people. Thought he's done a hell of a job. That's why it's so sad. The two men had worked together for decades. You got the best governor in the whole darn country. It's an ironic fall from grace for a governor who just two years ago signed legislation to help end sexual harassment.
3: And let's honor all the women who have suffered this pain and endured this humiliation.
4: Among Democrats at the state capitol. The governor's clearly lost the confidence of the majority members of the New York State Assembly. Cuomo's support evaporated in the past year amid questions about the state's handling of nursing home patients who died of COVID and whether he'd relied on state resources to write a memoir that would earn him more than $5 million. The state has said.
0: You should have done what OJ did and written that if I did it. (laughs) Member, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> … was preparing
4: to impeach him, and multiple people tell CBS News that all 63 members of the state Senate would likely have voted to remove him. But Democratic strategist and CBS News political contributor Joel Payne governor says we may not have seen the last of the governor.
5: If voters decide to forgive Governor Cuomo, there's a world where he could run again in the future. Yo.
4: Cuomo was preparing not. to run for a fourth term next year, but for now, he's a political pariah. And the third consecutive New York governor to either resign or not seek reelection because of scandal. Major Okay, by NLP the way. At the White House. Uh, Thank you. I
0: really I have a real problem with people saying like putting all things into one scandal, the term scandal, because Elliot Spitzer had to resign because he it's the verb. He went to sex workers. It was a consensual scandal. There was nothing. There were no violations. So I, I always think it's very dangerous when people talk about sex scandal, sexual scandals, as if they're one thing. As if having an affair, or consensual sex worker relationships or interactions are the same thing as assault or harassment. So just want to give, basically, give Spitzer a shout out because he was a good governor, yeah. and <laughs> they went after him.
1: It's always really great to just find out that like someone is just like doing regular horny shit. You know. Yeah. We could play the other video.
6: Um, In a follow-up to the report on Governor Cuomo's sexual harassment, uh, a lot of men in politics have been accused of sexual harassment. President Biden was accused by female secret service agents of skinny dipping in front of them, offending them, according to former Washington Post reporter Ronald Kessler, who is an author as well. His former Senate aide, Tara Reid, accused him of sexual assault. The Washington Post and The New York Times have published multiple accounts of women who objected to the way President Biden touched them. Should there be an independent investigation of allegations into the president as there was into Governor Cuomo?
3: First, I would say
0: the president has been clear and outspoken about the importance of being a respect- and having their
3: voices heard and being allowed to tell their stories and people treating them with respect. That has long been his policy, continues to be his policy. That, those were, that was heavily litigated during the campaign, I understand you're eager to come back to it, but I don't have anything further other than to repeat
0: that he has called for the governor to resign. Go ahead. That is uh, a tactic that we've seen Hillary Clinton use that when she was asked about Juanita Broderick, when should women be believed? And her response is like, it should be until they're proven not credible. And that did not happen. She was not proven to be not credible. And we can get into that a little bit later because Juanita Broderick, like you, Tara, was politically inconvenient. Very and- good was yeah. smeared and she was people said she was not credible. People pretend that's why what's his name? Kenneth Starr did not include her in the in the impeachment. The truth is he didn't include her because and this is so messed up. Her allegations of rape, this is Bill Clinton, Kenneth Starr asked her, as Juanita Broderick, who since the nineties has been accusing Bill Clinton, she was very reluctant about it. And you actually she at some point said it didn't happen, Tara which is something that a lot of survivors do because they don't want to talk about it. And she was very reluctant, but she finally told her story. And they asked if Clinton had ever threatened her or tried to silence her because that is obstruction of justice. And Juanita Broderick said, no, he didn't because she was telling the truth. And because he didn't do that, it's so messed up. But that didn't fall within the purview of the impeachment because the impeachment was about obstruction of justice, not about rape for us all anyway we see this saki is saying that it's been litigated it's a
3: very convenient way did i miss that did i miss the litigation yeah. album one did we miss a court date or something <laughs> but, no. I mean, like, I don't know, like it was litigated i don't know like when she said that i remember thinking there was a court case no it's very misleading you know. Yeah, people use it casually but like when you're yeah. the white House press secretary and you're using it like a legal term of art
1: yeah deliberately misleading,
3: misleading or yeah. the term of art and,
1: yeah. yeah i mean especially when they're talking about something that i would mean, be well, prosecuted yeah i mean may be actually charged definitely civil or criminal you know but,
3: uh, yeah but i had a question for you all you know what has struck me about that too was that i saw her jaw tighten when she was answering but she didn't interrupt him and she usually interrupts and she just let him go he talked about the secret service and he talked about me. So, what do you think of that? Was it am I just was she just having to do that, or do you think or do you think she's okay? Not I don't mean, it's
1: just a, I, I feel like it's just obvious. There's definitely no way that Jen Saki has a soul whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, like she can look straight in the camera and be like, just just justify human rights atrocities. Absolutely, yeah. not, all
3: right, all right. That's why she got hired, yeah. yeah. I guess uh, it was a well, great
5: question, though. I'm glad she didn't interrupt, honestly, because like yeah. that, that question covered a lot of ground. And it's, it's great to hear someone finally ask the White House press, press secretary about all that stuff. And where so. was
0: that person from, that journalist?
5: New York Post.
0: See, that's the thing that's so unfortunate is that what happens is that much like the case with one Broderick, people won't talk about this if it's politically inconvenient. And so no. it's not it's, It becomes a conspiracy. It's spun as a right wing conspiracy theory. And I believe that about Juanita Broderick for years. I'm not going to lie. And yeah. I was a very critical of the Clintons. And I still, I heard about Juanita Broderick. And I just assumed it was a conspiracy theory because the only people who would ever mention her were right. And then you look into it and it's to- very incredibly credible, extremely credible. And then you hear people say stuff like, she's a Trump supporter, as if one, like, like that matters. Or
1: like she would vote for the guy who... The woman,
0: for the wife of the guy who raped her. Yeah. They're like, but Trump raped, yeah, it's infuriating. And they did that to you too, Tara, with that you're at RT, which is, I think you're the worst asset. If you're a Russian asset, you're probably the worst Russian asset in the history of of I'm
3: I'm, I'm, I'm a a useless idiot, let's just say. Let's see if I had ambitions for that. I would be so bad because I like... Just want to help everyone and tell everyone everything. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> knows this about me. Like I'm very open, so don't tell me a secret. Like no, you're like
0: you're like doesn't officially
3: plan to
0: uh, order an attack uh, in Ukraine. <laughs> but he He's is. But I feel to like order a
1: pizza. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> but I feel like maybe
0: he would. I'm just gonna put it out there. Yeah, that would be. I have, to, I
3: have to say though, writing the op-eds for RT has been so awesome, and they are so easy to work with and nice and it's all my voice and I have a platform and the New York Times rejected my op-ed so I don't know why but can
0: can you guys talk actually about the New York Times because why you attempted to get them to retract the their story about you about Tara and also before that though I want to ask you Avalon how you became interested in Tara's story and then I'll ask you guys about the New York Times
5: yeah I was very anti-Trump and very pro-Bernie Sanders. And I heard about Tara's allegations and I was just like, this is not good. This is unacceptable. And and I thought he was unacceptable in 2019. I was paying attention to Lucy Flores and all those other women who came forward. And I was like, this inappropriate touching is, is unacceptable as well. So when the further allegations came forward, I was like, this is unacceptable, absolutely. And when Bernie Sanders dropped out of the primary, um, I was going to write a Facebook post. And then instead of just writing a Facebook post, I ended up making it a petition because I was like, why not make it a petition? So I made this petition that was like, Joe Biden needs to step down. This is unacceptable. And I actually just checked it the other day. And obviously, it was unsuccessful getting Joe Biden to step down, but it's got 10,000 signatures now. Last time I checked a few months ago, I only had 7,000. So there obviously was some interest from uh, yeah. a few other people in the, in the country who also thought that this was unacceptable. But so I started that petition. And it was through people who found out about the petition that I got directly connected to Tara. And I've been, you know, organizing with her very closely ever since. You know what?
3: I have to give you a shout out, Avalon. You have been an amazing support for me because I was out there just getting hammered by corporate media and discredited. And someone today said to me, hey, so the first article that comes up about you is the political one that calls you a manipulative, lying user, whatever. And Avalon has been so helpful with just bringing people into my life that support me. And when you're going through something like this, you feel pretty isolated. So thank you, Evelyn. Shout out to you because you have been tireless. Well, I think,
5: yeah, I'm, of course. I, I think having ex- sexual violence and sexual harassment in my own personal life, when this happens on a large scale against a famous person or a politician, it's a macrocosm for what people individually experience in their, in their own lives. And like, I... Because all of those rape myths that people use to discredit famous accusers like Juanita Broderick and Christopher Ford and Tara Reid and uh, Lindsay Boylan and all these, the well-known the well known accusers <laughs> that have accused famous, powerful men, the same rape myths that are used to discredit them were used to discredit me. It's like people say the same thing. So they're going to say you weren't consistent. They're going to say the same things, whether you are Tara Reid or just me, just a regular person. So it's really relatable. And that's part of why it's so triggering when this stuff happens on a large scale for for other survivors, because they're hearing those same talking points repeated about why they shouldn't be believed and it's all just bs to be totally honest yeah
0: yeah i think there's so many of you could make like a list of all the the go-to excuses uh, that people have and one of them is that people say good things about their accusers that was something that i think that i would have thought that with harvey weinstein people would have understood that because you had people saying nice things about him and tara when i interviewed you Like, you felt very conflicted, understandably, about Biden. Like, you, I remember you getting very emotional about Biden's, like, the fact that his son died. Yeah. uh, And his wife died. And people are not, like, people are complex, nuanced beings.
1: I don't don't want to speak for anyone, but I can imagine that there, it's not wanting, not wanting someone to just be able to be, like, allowed to just willy-nilly sexually harass or assault someone doesn't. This doesn't necessarily amount to like that you're wanting to hurt them in any particular way. You just don't, you know, many times it's fine if you do want something bad to happen. That would be a normal reaction too. But I know for myself at times that I have experienced something like that, it's more just what would be great is if it never happened to me in the first place. And justice is not necessarily always equivalent to punishment. Yeah, yeah. and I
3: think justice can be quite slow. I want to just circle back around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to Saki, but to you, <laughs> phrase. But I want to. You were talking about the the touching, and isn't it interesting how they describe Cuomo's touching as like the New York Times just did a thing where they said he was assaulted, and they and said the was
5: Maidem friendly. Was
3: friendly, yeah, yeah. 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 It's and really, it was it's really un- gross. touching, but it's not. And they kept emphasizing, it's not sexual. What is sexual harassment? And what is the definition? And if you look at it, of course, they famous doesn't have to be touching. It
5: doesn't have right. to be sexual. Gender harassment is sexual harassment. If somebody says you can't do your job because you're a woman, that's sexual harassment. There's people don't even understand what these words mean. And I've just been yeah. reading so much about this stuff for the past year, and it's amazing how much people do not even understand what sexual harassment is or what it looks like when it happens. You're totally right, Tara. It's just, it's ridiculous. Even with Cuomo's up and down, they're already just setting this framework where they're saying, well, Biden, it's different. Biden's just
3: friendly, and it's it's not. And, and then Biden say, but that's why it's so sad. So sad because he was <sighs> full of a governor. Even yeah. Biden
5: saying that it's his, you know, his personal life or his work as a governor. And if he sexually harassed those women as a governor. So right. how is on that personal? He did that on the job. It's ridiculous.
0: And it wouldn't be okay if he like sexually harassed people off the job either, but it's just, it's not even, there's not even a line at all. Yeah. You yeah.
3: Uh, I remember Kate saying in one of your shows, Katie, um, when you were talking about how, when you talk about sexual harassment, that there's layers, many things are true at once, but you were talking about, it's a very nuanced conversation. It's just not that simple. And people just want it simple. They just want, do you do it or did you not do it? In sexual harassment, there's like nuances to it. Sexual assault's a little more clear. What happened to me was clear, but sex- I really admired what you said there.
1: I guess to me, it's, I feel like as a culture, we should have really moved beyond the idea of rape or sexual assaults, it's like something that happens in an alley behind a dumpster with a stranger all the time. And same thing with sexual harassment. Our understanding of that from, I don't know, I'm just gonna arbitrarily throw out there beyond 15 years ago is, if you don't have sex with me, I'm going to fire you from your job. And it's, no, it could be other things. I understand that there are people who feel uncomfortable with the level of ambiguity Right, and there is, there is a there's spectrum. There is a spectrum. right? If somebody, like, I've had, I've had things happen to me at work where a co-worker, like, definitely was, like, flirting with me and was like, you look really good today. I didn't love it, but at the same time, it was, like, a thing where I could be like, <laughs> see you later. They got the point. But with Cuomo, there was enough information to generate a 168-page report. This is not a particularly ambiguous situation, nor was it with Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And like the state trooper that he had purposely assigned to him, that he made it sound like it was some sort of diversity hire. Oh actually, my God, yeah, that was
1: so that was ridiculous.
3: Stupid.
0: Yeah, that was really ridiculous. Just like he did when he was like, the women in my office who are being accused of being like, these babes. Yeah, these bi- yeah. Well, he was these trying, to, babes. trying to hide behind the fact that, yeah, there are people, there is a double standard with like being a bitch versus ambitious, but that's not what we're talking about. There happened to be women yeah. who work in Cuomo's office. And when he was like trying to swap the allegations, he was like trying to hide behind the double standard that women and men face, which is that's a different conversation i'm
1: yeah. a
3: bitch i'm a lover i don't know oh, that's such a <laughs> How do you that song do you play that song is that one of the songs you dj avalon or now not your, your i house. have not
5: played that song by meredith okay. Brooks
3: since she's, a great song she when, is yeah she's I the guess. right winger and she did tweet yeah. out her reading, but so. her
5: left
0: winger people are yeah they're
3: afraid maybe that i should be the theme song for my new podcast that i'm doing for rt oh yeah tell us there about that it's called time's yeah. The Politics of Survival with Tara Reed and NRT's Producing.
0: And to hear the rest of my discussion with Avalon, Claire, and Tara Reed, please become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. And here is the conversation that I had with Kevin Gostola about Julian Assange. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Kevin is the co-host of Unauthorized Disclosure with Ronnie Kallak. He is the managing editor of Shadowproof. He also curates the Descender newsletter and uh, right. you can find him on uh, Twitter at oh god, do I remember. Got it that? right here.
1: It's K- okay. right there.
0: You can find him on Twitter right there, K G O S Z T O L A and make sure you go to shadowproof.com. And he's one of the tireless. He's one of the handful of reporters in the United States, and I would say two handfuls of reporters around the world who sure, actually follow the yeah, Assange yeah. case consistently. Yeah.
6: I was up 3.30 a.m., 4.30 Eastern in the morning following this stupid hearing yesterday. I really do mean that the U.S. government is really wasting our time, but and obviously they're wasting Julian Assange's time and his entire family's time. I really just think that This is a case that is failing in every way. But again, that doesn't mean that you can't lose. That doesn't mean it's going to lose. People fail upward in our society all the time and they go on to do things that they shouldn't be doing. So it's possible they're able to overturn the extradition decision, which would put Assange on the losing side for for when they go to the Supreme Court but but yeah i'm here i can answer and deal with any confusion i know you have people who are asking questions about assange
0: yes you want to get the thing out of the way with the sexual assault should we just get that out of the way because what happened is we had tara reed on before and a woman named avalon claire i think brought that up because tara reed is a very outspoken defender of assange and so just want to get out in front of that
6: Yeah, so the way that I handle it is to say that if you believe that either of the women had valid claims against Julian Assange, then you should object to the way that Sweden handled the entire case against Julian Assange, because there were numerous due process violations and it it dragged on and on. And in the way that they handled it, it deprived both sides justice. It deprived the defendant any kind of justice but it definitely deprived the women who made these allegations justice. That's my view. I, I don't think it's normal for cases to be open and shut and open and shut and open and shut. It happened at least three times in Sweden and they never got to the phase where they charged him. And I realized that he was in the embassy and they claimed that they needed to come question him, but there are a lot of questions about the way the Swedish prosecution authority handled that and um, the way that the United Kingdom Its government interfered. Look at what Niels Meltzer, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture, documented about the due process violations in Sweden. So generally speaking, if you're on the side of the women, you can be opposed to the Swedish case as much as you can be opposed to the case if you're a supporter of Assange. I don't think the Swedish prosecution authority did right for anyone who was involved in that case.
0: Yeah, because they didn't- I'm
6: not here to tell you what happened. I have no idea what happened in the bedroom, but let's just admit that at a certain point, it's pretty obvious to me that geopolitics took over and dealing with what these women had to say about what did or did not happen with Julian became a peripheral issue.
0: Okay, thank you for, for clearing that up. And let's talk about the actual case against Assange and what the breaking news is
6: right now. So we had an appeal hearing. It was the first one in the U.S. appeal. And it's complicated. What I'll do is just I'll run down the different, there are different grounds for appeal. So the what happens for people who are unfamiliar with this, is that basically the U.S. government says to the High Court of Justice, that's the appeal court above the district court in the United Kingdom, and they say, we would like to appeal this. And they tell the court they're going to do so on certain grounds. And when they go forward with this, the High Court of Justice has to approve all of the different grounds that are Proposed. So, in order for them to be part of the main appeal hearing, which is coming up on October 27th and the 28th, they had to get permission from the judges to argue these. Usually, what's required is it has to be some question of law. I don't want to be too boring here, but it can't be a debate about facts. Basically, you go through this, and these were the grounds that they asked. So, first they say, Uh, I'll parse some of the legalese in here so people can understand English. The first part of this is the U.S. says that the judge made an error when it came to the Extradition Act that is basically the U.S. and the United Kingdom have a treaty. So did she apply a test correctly? It's a human rights test to determine that Assange shouldn't be extradited. And then the second ground was that the U.S. says that He shouldn't have that. Basically, they should have had the judge come to them and tell the United States government ahead of time that we think that there are human rights concerns. Is there anything you can do to assure me that his human rights won't be violated? Because they claim that they would have then turned around and said, here's what we could do. And then it would be okay for you to extradite him. So they believe that the judge should have allowed them to say things like, for example, we won't put him in uh, harsh confinement conditions. So then there's this doctor named Professor Kopelman who they wanted to discredit. That was a third uh, appeal. They say that he misled the court. The fourth ground for appeal is that they disagree with how the judge assessed the evidence of Julian Assange's risk of suicide. And then the fifth ground is that they claim that basically they should have been able to provide assurances about the way that he would be treated. And essentially, they're claiming that the judge did not allow them to say that he would not be mistreated in, in prison. in that. And also to tell them that he wouldn't be put in the Supermax prison in Colorado. So there are five different things grounds and initially the high court of justice said that two of them were not allowed and the us griped and moaned and said let's have a this have a hearing we want to come before this court and say that you really should reconsider so a reason i was up early and all of us it, around uh, the half a dozen or so people in the us got up at the like before the sun even rises and and watched this hearing was because they were arguing that they should be able to try and discredit this doctor and that they should be able to question evidence about Julian Assange's risk of suicide. So the hearing yesterday was all about challenging uh, a very well experienced neuropsychiatrist who treated Julian Assange, trashing him, that's what the US government was doing. And then fourth ground, the the second thing that they were on is that they don't think he's at risk of suicide or they question the evidence that the judge used to make that determination. And the High Court of Justice, to me, uh, it was shocking, went ahead and said, okay, we're going to now allow the US government to argue on both of those points. And the reason why it's shocking to me is that they are basically saying they're going to let the U.S. government call facts into question. I thought we just spent four years of Donald Trump saying that we shouldn't have alternative facts and that you should be able to let facts uh, be, be first. Now, the U.S. government is going to go before these judges and basically say that the judge-
1: facts first, at district, first.
6: Yeah, it's, okay. The judge is gonna say that you should look at our facts consider our doctor's facts because the prosecution has two doctors that were considered less or were less uh, dependent on in the ruling. So the district judge actually preferred Julian's team's doctors, the one that treated him the most, which makes sense to me, right? Like the person who saw him regularly, we're going to depend on his expertise. And then there was a doctor who diagnosed him with autism and she relied on him. And then these other two doctors who were like there for maybe a couple of weeks at most, or, or did one examination and then were gone, she said, I don't trust them as much, or I don't want to depend on them as much, because I think the doctor that saw him from May 2019 to December 2019 is more thorough. There there are many more times that he was treating Julian Assange. So I think he has the complete picture of what his mental health is. And the US government is telling the high court, essentially, that uh, they object to the fact that those facts were given more importance than their facts.
0: And is there something related to the children and, and yes.
6: not
5: saying,
0: yeah, so
6: what that is. Okay, so what, so what you've seen, and by the way, if I know you play clips, to, if you have the clip of Stella Morris giving yeah. her statement after court, what I'll say is that I, let me give you the background and then I'm gonna tell you about seeing Assange speak at the end of the hearing, which I reported on in my coverage of the, the hearing. But essentially, Michael Kopelman made, I don't know if we'll call it a mistake, but at this point, I'm pretty certain that the defense is regretting the way this was handled because it's become a nuisance. But what happened is the relationship between Stella and Julian and the fact that he had fathered two children in the embassy was a secret and was not known in December of 2019 when Michael Kopelman, this psychiatrist, who they're trying to discredit, filed his first report and he did not mention that he knew that Stella Morris and Julian were having a relationship. He did not mention when he was talking about Julian's children that Julian had two new children or two recently born children. And so that is what the US government is using to say that Michael Kobelman misled the court. And so he failed in his duty as an expert witness. He should have disclosed this in his report. And what we heard in the hearing was that there was a discussion between this doctor and the defense about protecting their identities because of, of safety issues you've heard about the surveillance company, Global, in which there's a criminal case unfolding right now in Spain. That company was engaged in an espionage operation against the Ecuador embassy targeted Assange. And these threats to their safety are not abstract. They tried to get their hands on a, a diaper for Julian's children so that they could figure out who the father was. Uh, like school they, samples, they yeah, to like digging
1: through the dumpster, right?
6: Yeah, yes,
1: that's so disgusting.
6: And and the director David Morales, who had his home raided, he had a conversation where he talked about poisoning or kidnapping Julian Assange. Um, the legal team, one of their lawyers, Balthazar Garzon, was stalked by this surveillance company. We don't know if it was UC Global, but highly suspected that some men affiliated, burglarized his office. So these threats aren't abstract. They also raided David Morales' home and found weapons without ownership licenses. And the serial numbers were erased or buffed out so you couldn't see where they came from. And they have no idea what this man was planning. David Morales has like ties to the Israeli military. He's a very shady person. And then of course the contract, the way that they got the contract for the espionage operation was going to Las Vegas and doing it through Adelson's security, Sheldon Adelson, rotten pieces. So yeah, so this is what they were trying to do, the U S and actually they're going to be able to make this argument in the full hearing. The high court of justice decided to allow it, but it's rather It's it's a rather vile argument because the judge herself in her decision dealt with this issue. And she said she was not happy that he didn't disclose that there was this relationship, but it didn't ultimately have any bearing at all on how she went through his evidence of all of the medical assessments that he did of Julian Assange were still credible and objective and he didn't hide any details the days when he was not suicidal the days when he was doing pretty well he didn't hide those from the judge because it would hurt julian's case or anything like that so she recognized that this was a bad thing in her mind or that, this is her view i don't actually have any problem with what michael Copelman did and what the defense did but the judge didn't like it but it didn't stop her from taking in all of the necessary evidence from him and seeing that it was crucial. But what Michael Kobelman had to say, which is this is why the U.S. government wants to discredit him. Michael Kobelman responsible for a key piece of evidence that basically suggests that Julian Assange would not try to commit suicide by choice. And what I mean by that is if he found out tomorrow that there was nothing he could do, he reached the end of the road, the U.S. is gonna put you on a plane and you're gonna be coming to the United States to be put on trial. And he said, well, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna commit suicide. That's a choice. But what Dr. Kopelman said is if this happens, Julian Assange wouldn't be making a rational choice. He would right. be responding to suicidal impulses that are a result of a mental health disorder. And, in, and, and so that is why his human rights deserve to be protected. He's not somebody who would be acting like a fugitive trying to escape accountability. He would be killing himself because he actually is suffering from a mental health disorder. So they would like to get that kind of evidence tossed out. I think they feel like they can do it by disqualifying Michael Kopelman. And so at the end of the hearing, Julian Assange was brought back by the Belmarsh prison because his attorney asked to say goodbye to him. And they thought they were going to be able to have a private conversation, but we were on the feed. So his feed, he's at Belmarsh, he's on this video feed, he's sharing it with journalists. So we can actually see Julian Assange the whole time the hearing is happening, sitting in this little room. It's actually saddening. He looks so isolated, just withdrawn. And uh, you could see the toll that the, this punishment by process is taking. And he's told by his attorney, Edward Fitzgerald, that this probably isn't the time to talk about what happened today, but I just know we're going to call you later. And Julian goes to talk and he says he's an expert witness. An expert witness has a legal obligation to protect people from harm. And he starts talking. He's like, my children. We're like, we're talking about my children here. Like we were like, that's why that information was kept private and confidential, not disclosed. So you're trying to protect the safety of my family. And so he was astounded that the High Court of Justice would allow the U.S. to pursue this argument in the upcoming appeal hearing. And then he left. And but it it and the clip that you have of Stella yeah. is her also talking about this and the the threats to safety that this family has experienced while going through this political prosecution.
4: Threats against our children, threats against death threats against Julian's
2: eldest son Daniel. Threats on Julian's life threats of a 175-year prison sentence and the actual ongoing imprisonment of a journalist for doing his job, these are sustained threats to his life for the past 10 years. These are not just items of law. This is our lives. We have the right to exist. We have a right to live.
1: And we have a right for this nightmare to come to an end once and for all. It's just an incredibly sad story, and I feel like the fact that I was looking at RT when we played that clip, and I feel like the thing is, that so many people are under the impression that this is some kind of—I don't know—that it's like on conspiracy level or something because mainstream media refuses to cover it, and so I think when people talk about it, like people assume that it's like some kind of a friendship or whatever, but it's not, it's really happening. It's a huge threat to journalism and it's very frustrating how marginalized the story is. And thank you for reporting on it.
6: Yeah. uh, No, I'd agree that there's a lot of people, too many people who still see this as some kind of like Russian backed propaganda story. uh, And like people who talk about Julian Assange being under attack Probably are doing it to, you know, so Discord. They always accuse people the use the, the useful idiots, right? You know that, Katie, because you, you,
1: yeah, um, or even know. straight up Russian agents, you know. Yeah, yeah, straight up. No. Yeah,
6: at one point Assange was trending, and they probably there probably were a fair amount of these resistance grifters. Yester, uh, yesterday who thought that Russia was why the Assange case was trending. But of course it's because he had an appeal hearing and so everyone was talking about it or a lot of people were talking about it. And uh, yeah, so right now we wait for this hearing in October and it's just, it's really sad. It's very sad because this is, the stuff we're talking about, whether someone's at risk of suicide, whether a doctor's evidence should be considered or not, that should have been settled. Like to me, what the high court of justice did, I can't believe I'm trying to build sympathy for the district judge who was doing her job, but I can't even believe that they're allowing her decision to be called into question the way that it is, it's going to be up for debate in the end of October. Because she did her job and she looked at this, all of the evidence. She considered all the doctors and she said, I believe Michael Kopelman. I believe this neuropsychiatrist. And now the High Court of Justice is going to say, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure if she understood the facts. So let's do this all over again. Like The U.S. government is basically going to get a duo on this mental health evidence. And on the issue of whether they're gonna protect the human rights of Julian Assange if he's extradited to the United States, which we, I know, I can, I'm willing to debate anyone who suggests that he will be treated well. I, if he's brought to the United States, he would be put in Alexandria Detention Center and he'd wait there for at least a year to two years in this complex case for a, a, a trial to even happen. It could be 2024 at this rate before he even goes to trial. And while he's there, he's going to go through what Chelsea Manning went through. And Chelsea Manning attempted suicide when she was at, she was subpoenaed to testify before the grand jury investigating WikiLeaks. And a few days before she finally got out, and she, I think she only got out, there were a combination of factors, but fortunately she was able to get out with her life, but she attempted suicide. And so this government can't c- claim to protect people when they're in their custody.
0: And then after she attempted suicide, they put her in solitary after that, right?
6: Well, no. So I'm talking about a different example. I'm talking about when she was subpoenaed for the grand jury in 2019. And she was in jail for a year, almost exactly a year, because she would not testify against Julian Assange. They tried to turn a source against, this is a saga. So Many people have forgotten this part. This was an earlier season of the political prosecution against Julian Assange. So what you're talking about is when Chelsea was first arrested and then she was brought over to the United States. She was held at Quantico and faced torture or cruel and inhuman treatment. And eventually that was actually confirmed. And there was a whole hearing on it in her court martial about how she was abused. And they put her in suicide watch and abused her. So that's But that's the kind of thing that can happen. Okay, okay so Julian Assange, he's going to be brought here and they're going to be on high alert that he's suicidal. So there's all these things that they're going to be able to get away with doing to him and just say, well, he's suicidal, so we can get we can mistreat him because we have a suicidal. They can use his mental health problems against
0: him. Oh, right, that they have to isolate him.
6: Yeah, they can do things like that. Keep him on watch, take things away from him, not allow him to have certain clothing or any clothing at all, or maybe take away his bedding and stuff like that. It's horrible.
0: And can you lastly just talk about how he actually, the relationship between him and other prisoners at Belmarsh who were able to get him, I believe, changed where he was being held in the jail? So
6: it's my understanding that actually, even though these are some people who are accused of very serious crimes, he's in a prison that he should never be in and this is a kind of a national security facility i believe and there's probably people there who are accused of terrorism offenses but he's been there for for two years now and i understand that he's befriended some people there in fact there's a horrible tragic story that was covered by the guardian about someone who was a friend of julian assange's who was due to be deported to brazil And did not want to go back to Jair Bolsonaro's Brazil because he's gay. And so he committed suicide in Belmarsh prison. And Julian Assange lost this person who had a friend. Um, I understand he played, he would perform music from his cell. And Julian Assange appreciated and enjoyed his company. And so there have been people in Belmarsh who Julian Assange has has befriended. Uh, Like you just said, the he was in the hospital wing and pretty isolated and they helped petition to get him out so that he could be in general population and no longer be walled off from people and you know so now he's been but covid of course i think changes a lot i'm sure everything is rather i to some degree it's isolating but i, I imagine he gets to be with some prisoners but Only recently, Stella talked about this before the hearing. So she gave two uh, statements. She did one before the hearing. That one we played is really moving after because uh, you can hear the distress. But before she mentioned that it was the first time in many months that she got to embrace Julian Assange, because there had been these COVID restrictions. So they did get to hold hands, the, like the last time she visited. I don't know if he got to hug the children. I imagine the embracing that was dependent on being vaccinated. So I did, is the logic, because that didn't sound like he had hugged his kids. But there, that was a, at least one thing that she and him got to do. But I really must tell you before I go, that I do not think the Biden administration is interested in defending this case publicly. I'm both depressed by that and also Uh, hope-filled. Hope-filled because if they can't defend it, then maybe they'll get backed into a position where the charges are dropped. But depressed because it means that this punishment can just go on and on for another two or three years. And then when it gets to the end, they might just suddenly decide that it's not worth it and they won't have him extradited to the United States.
1: To me, it's just, it's so mind blowing, just ongoingly, like that you can just spend years in jail without ever being convicted of a
6: crime. It's incredible it's- that he's in Belmarsh right now. He won at the district court road. level. The judge turns around and does a favor for the U.S. and says, okay, while you're appealing, we'll keep him in jail for you. <laughs> Come on. He was able to get a good decision and he's still getting punished. Nobody will talk about it. I don't think the Biden administration has much, much interest in this case other than allowing it to continue with the bare minimum of resources and they won't talk to the press about it. Charlie Savage of the New York Times asks them for a statement and they just send them a, a sheet with this, these grounds of appeal and that's it. They won't tell, the, gov- the government won't tell Charlie Savage, oh, we really think it's important that Julian Assange be brought to justice. They won't even say things like that. They won't even puff their chests out and say that what they're doing is to defend democracy from someone who would hack into our systems or whatever they would say. They're just, they're quiet. They, they don't want people to bother with this at all. And I don't think they even care that much, which is what's even more aggravating because they're allowing this injustice to go on and and pretending like it's not happening on their watch. So what
0: can we do, given that it sounds like they aren't willing to they're pressurable,
6: right? Or they're. Well, I think you've got to continue to shame them. You know, the most persuasive argument to me is that every moment that Julian Assange is in jail is is a moment that dictatorships and authoritarians can use against the United States. You, you don't need me to be here to play your viewers videos of people who have been asked questions over the last 6 to 12 months and as they were criticized for trampling their citizens' press freedoms or their citizens' human rights, they said, how dare you question me? You've yeah. got Julian Assange in Belmarsh Prison. We've seen China do it? We've seen the leader of Azerbaijan do it. and I think there was one other leader that talked about Julian Assange's case in this way, using it to shield them from criticism about how they run their own country. And so I think if the Biden administration wants to have any credibility in the world, and I believe they do. They actually do care about their image. The US spends a lot of time trying to make everyone believe that we uphold human rights, even though we can fill hours and hours talking about how we don't. But they want this image, and it is right now almost impossible to maintain with Julian Assange in Belmarsh prison. So it's simple, let him free, let this end, and then you can get back to acting like you're better than china and these other dictatorship countries because they won't be able to wave julian assange at you thanks so much for listening to the katie helper show please rate and review
0: the katie helper show on itunes please become patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the katie helper show again that's patreon.com slash the katie helper show don't forget to become patreon supporters to hear the extended interview with tara reed and evelyn claire you can follow Tara Reed on Twitter at Reed Alexandra, that's R E A D E Alexandra. You can also follow Kate Willett at Kate Willett on Twitter, that's Kate W I L L E T T. You can also follow Avalon at Avalon Clare. A V A L O N C L A R E, and follow Liza Featherstone at L Feathers, that's L F E A T H E R Z. Plus Kevin Gastola at K-G-O-S-Z-T-O-L-A.